I'm going to give you a quick rundown about our conference. Why are we doing this? So our theme this year, the fields are white. The fields are white. As, as Rachel and I were driving to church, we live out in Greenville, a small town about 25 minutes from here. We, dr we drive through the fields. We drive through uh, some of the farmland. And we saw this morning the, the harvesters, the combines, the tractors out there, the trucks. They bring those harvests in. And Rachel looked out there and she said, that's a beautiful sight. The field had just been harvested, soy field, soybeans, and it had just been harvested, the clean lines and the clean field. It, it's harvest time. The fields are white. How many of you know what it is like when you see the, the crops begin to turn from green to white? You drive through, there's, there's a change, and you can see that. Jesus' prophetic proclamation, the fields are white. Harvest. And what's been happening the last 2,000 years is the harvest. The great harvest has been happening. We're a part of that. And so the, the purpose of this conference is to equip us as a church to bring in the harvest. It's to give us tools. It's to give us understanding. It's, it's to give us vision. It's to inspire us. And so I want to invite everybody to come out and participate. It's going to be, begin on Wednesday night this week. Uh, 6.30. So in the, in the evenings, our service times will be 6.30. That's Wednesday, Thursday, and Friday night. And in our evening services, we're going to hear from Pastor Kurt Juzak, who pastors Stonebridge Church in Minneapolis, Minnesota. It's a church with a great missions heritage, a great outreach heritage, doing some great things today in their city. They're reaching a lot of young people in their cities, in, 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 the, in the cities, the Twin Cities. And then we're also going to hear from Pastor Nathan Thompson, who pastors in San Luis Potosi, Mexico. He's a missionary, second-generation missionary in Mexico, who's actually raised up a Bible training center where they're training families. They've sent six families to the 1040 window, third-world nations, Islamic nations. They're training Mexicans to be missionaries in the, in the eastern nations, doing an awesome work. So we're going to hear from Pastor Philip uh, Thompson. In the mornings, we'll hear from uh, Zach, Zach Juzak, Pastor Zach Juzak, who is at Stonebridge Church as well. And we're going to hear from our own Sean Alexander. Sean, wave everybody. We're going to hear from Sean on Friday morning. And then we're going to be hearing from the missionaries and pastors that are with us as well. And so I want to invite every, everybody. What, what's the theme? It, it, it's about getting us ready, getting us equipped, getting the tools into your hands, getting training. And, and, and sometimes it's, it's just getting encouragement. It, it can be intimidating sometimes to step out and do what God's calling us to do. Getting inspiration, getting bigger vision. That's why we're doing this. Uh, so I, I invite everybody to come out as often as you can. And at, at 5.30 on Thursday and Friday, 5.30 in the evening, there's going to be an opportunity before the service downstairs. We're going to have refreshments. That'll be an opportunity. Our, our missionaries, our guests will be here. That'll give you, and I encourage you, spend as much time around these people as you can. They're, they're my heroes. They're doing incredible things. They have hazarded their, their financial security, their comfort, their own lives oftentimes. For the sake of the gospel, they're doing tremendous things, and I would encourage all of you to get around them and spend as much time as you possibly can uh, with these missionaries. Uh, so 5.30 Thursday and Friday evening, the doors will be open, our fellowship hall. Uh, you can meet us down there and just come and hang out with these guys. Um, I, some things that I'd like for you to do to help us with all the things that are happening, whether it be our conference, our fall festival, or our Spanish service. Okay, so we do have these flyers for those of you who would be willing. They're back in the back. There's two tables back there. You, you can pick those up and uh, get those out to your workplace or where, wherever you can get those out. Any kind of a, a bulletin board around the community that you know you can stick one on or you want to take one to give it to a friend, please do that. And also, so we have this stuff on social media. We'll put some more stuff out this week about these events. Share that. 
That makes a big difference. When you share it, it makes a big difference. We canvassed the neighborhood uh, yesterday, and uh, I think we've, we've got about 80, 85% of these homes back here with the flyer. We made a lot of personal connections with people. Uh, we did that over two Saturdays. But uh, yesterday, as I was walking back there, there was a young lady that, that uh, Brother Bobby and I met. We were walking back there talking, and this young lady said, hey, I, I saw this on Facebook this week. So it works, and it works better when you guys share it. I'm from Texas. You're from Indiana. You know a whole lot more people here than I do, right? Most of the, peop most of the people that I know in this community are from this church, right? I've made some relationships outside of that, but you guys know a whole lot more people, so it's more effective when you share than it is when I share. So my friends in Minnesota, Texas, or other states usually see it when I share it, but when you share it, the locals see it. Does that make sense? So please share. Please share. Uh, get ready to give. Get ready to give. I've got some numbers here. I want, I want to talk a little bit. Steve gave me these numbers. Uh, just some of the things over the last two years. So this is beginning uh, 8-1-21, the present date. I think this number is $59,230.85. That's money that we have raised to send out for missionaries, for, for churches that are serving in hurricanes, all that. So just a, a few things. So uh, over $9,500 for Portland, our outreach in Portland right across the river. Uh, we raised over 47, almost $4,800 for the uh, May, uh, Mayfield uh, tornado. We raised $13,400 for Hurricane Ida relief uh, through Living Word Church in home of Louisiana. That's where we sent that money, and they, they served that community in a radical way. Uh, we've given $18,600 plus dollars to uh, the Tree of Life. So the, it's the promise, so Tree of Life Ministries, but their, their uh, pregnant, pregnancy crisis center down there on the border, the Mexican border, it's called uh, Promise Family services. And so we gave $18,600 there, $375 to our closed closet here given, and our general missions fund over $11,000. That's tremendous. That's tremendous. Amen. So we're going to raise money this week for three things. One is for missions. We're going to fund uh, monthly support of various missionaries. We're going to, so the, the offerings that we have during this conference, they're going to go three ways. One-third of it will go towards those missionaries. One-third of it is going to go uh, towards our, our children and an outreach here in the church through kids' ministry, some things we, we plan to do in 2023. And then a third of this is going to go towards outreach in the Hispanic community around here in Clarksville. So that's the way we're going to use this money. So... If you've got your missions jar, work, this is mine. I'm working on filling it up. I've got a ways to go. Hopefully, I get this thing full this week. Uh, you can also put, you don't have to, it doesn't have to be changed. You can put checks and dollars, anything you want. We, we get, um, you know, we get laundromat tokens. We get all kinds of foreign currency in these jars. Hey, who knows? We may collect like enough pesos or something to give to the Mexican missionaries. Wh whatever, bring it, give it, give it to the Lord. But grab one. There, there are jars back in the foyer on your way out. Grab one of these if you haven't already grabbed one and fill it up and bring and prepare to give. So two more things. Invite somebody. Invite somebody and attend. All right? I encourage you. I'm going to tell you what. You, you will be inspired. You will be built. You will be equipped. This is important stuff. This is really important for us. This is important. 
I'm anticipating harvest. I'm anticipating harvest. The Lord is speaking to me about harvest. In our prayer times, the Lord is speaking to us as a church about harvest. God is sending a harvest, and we got to get ready for that. we got to get ready for that. I, I planned, I, I told our team this morning, we're, we're stepping back some of the things that we do in the first quarter of 2023. Some of our men's and ladies' meetings and other things, other functions, we're going we're gonna to put those on pause for three months, and we're going to come together as a team, and we're going to build and equip for three months. We're going to invest a lot into our leadership and into our team here at the church. Amen. We're going to build. We're going to build. Amen. So we're going to get into the word. This is going to be uh, some inspiration towards this concept of harvest this morning. We're going to talk about a fruitful church. Uh, I've been studying all throughout the book of Acts this week, and the, the church in the book of Acts was a fruitful church. They were a multiplying church. We're going to see that this morning. By the way, I want to say, pa Pastor Steve Garvey is right here. Okay. Welcome. I have not met him yet. He sent a message saying he was going to be here. I met him through a mutual friend, Pastor Chris Fagan. But uh, he pastors in Bear, Delaware. Is that correct? Yes. Amen. Welcome and God bless you. Thank you for joining us this morning. <laughs> Amen. All right, so we're going to talk about the fruitful church today. Let's go to the book of Acts, chapter 11. Acts, chapter 11. 11. And the, the book of Acts blows my mind. The things that God does in this book, the miracles that we see, but also the rapid, miraculous growth of the church is absolutely amazing. The soul winning that we see, the ingathering of people, it, it, the, the, the church grows so rapidly in, in the book of Acts. It's absolutely um, amazing to see. So Acts chapter 11 Beginning in verse 20, it says, but some of them, some of them, just some of them. And the word there, it, that, that word for, I looked it up in the Greek, I think it's the word tis. And, and it's a very, it's speaking of a very vague people, not a specific people. The word there is intention, intentional. Some of them were men from Cyprus and Cyrene who, when they had come to Antioch, spoke to the Hellenists preaching the Lord Jesus. And the hand of the Lord was with them, and a great number believed and turned to the Lord. A great number believed and turned to the Lord. Then news of these things came to the ears of the church in Jerusalem, and they sent out Barnabas to go as far as Antioch. And when he came and had seen the grace of God, he was glad and encouraged them all that with purpose of heart they should continue with the Lord. For he was a good man, full of the Holy Spirit and of faith. And a great many people were added to the Lord. A great many people were added to the Lord. This is a fruitful church. I, I believe in the church. When you see what the apostles did in the book of Acts... It's the model of what we're supposed to be doing today. They were about planting churches. All research shows that the most fruitful thing that you can ever do is plant a church. The greatest majority of soul winning is done in church plants. Statistically proven, historically proven, biblically proven. As the apostles went 
to save souls, they planted churches. And these churches were very, very fruitful. And these churches were comprised of very ordinary people. Right? It says that some of them, not specific, it, it didn't call out any heroes, it just says some of them went and they spoke to the Hellenists preaching the Lord Jesus. It's just some ordinary, regular people. Ordinary people doing extraordinary things. That's the way that God rolls. I believe God's gathering a bunch of ordinary people here at Return Church to do some extraordinary things. I believe that with all of my heart. God uses ordinary people. And this church at Antioch is a very interesting... This, this church became a very powerful church, a very influential church. And it's interesting, this group of ordinary people formed a church and they met in a cave. They met in a cave in Antioch for safety and refuge. And it was in the middle of a necropolis. A necropolis is, is, is a city of dead folks. It's basically a gargantuan graveyard. They met in this cave, in this graveyard, in this necropolis, and they had church there. They fellowshiped, they worshiped together, they prayed together, they studied and taught the word of God together. In fact, that's, that's what we see here in, in this passage. They're, they're, they're teaching the word of God. They're, they're multiplying disciples. This church grew, and word got back to Jerusalem, the church of, at Jerusalem, and they sent Barnabas. And Barnabas, actually, that's not even his real name. His name was changed to Barnabas because it means encouragement. He was such an encourager. They called this man encouragement. Barnabas. That's what his name meant. He, he encouraged in giving. He encouraged, with, 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 he had a spirit of encouragement. He encouraged people. He encouraged the church. He was an encourager. In fact, he encourages the apostle Paul to come to Antioch and be a part of that church. This is an ordinary group of people. They end up doing extraordinary things out of a cave, out of a cave. God, God's done some great work in caves. You know that David's kingdom really ultimately was established in a cave? In the cave of Adullam. God gathered a bunch of disgruntled and discontented and indebted people into a cave. They, they were drawn to David and his leadership in this cave. And in that cave, he took these dysfunctional people and he built his administration. Those discontented, uh, indebted, messed up, jacked up, dysfunctional people that gathered to him in that cave he built into the team that would be his, when he would come to the throne, those same men that gathered to him in the cave would be his administrators and his war leaders. Do you know that? God took a bunch of dysfunctional misfits into a cave, a bunch of ordinary people, and he built the kingdom leadership under the Davidic kingdom. Think about that. God does that. The Bible talks about in Isaiah how God gathers the outcasts of Israel. God gathers Ordinary people together for an extraordinary purpose. This is what God does. And the, the result of this, the Bible says, is a great many people were added to the church there in verse 24. That's the result. That's the fruit of what's, what God is doing here in Antioch. A great number, a great many of people were added to the Lord. This is fruitfulness. God wants us to be a fruitful people. That's all throughout Scripture. I'll show you a little, a little bit of this. In Genesis chapter 1, verse 22, the, the first family, God blesses them saying, be fruitful and multiply. He repeats it to them in verse 28, be fruitful and multiply. He, he wants to make sure they got the point. Be fruitful and multiply. He tells Noah and his family, 
Be fruitful and multiply and fill the earth in Genesis chapter 9, verse 1. He tells them again in verse 7, be fruitful and multiply. Bring forth abundantly in the earth and multiply in it. In fact, no less than 13 times in the book of Genesis, God commands his people to be fruitful and multiply. I, I just did a, a reference, a check yesterday. I read through about over 20, I think it was 23 scriptures that I, that I read through yesterday, uh, where in the Old Testament, God tells his people to be fruitful. God wants a fruitful people. A fruitful people is what we see in the book of Acts. It's all throughout. Multiplication and increase goes all throughout the book of Acts. In, in, verse, in chapter 2, verse 47, it says, The Lord added to the church daily, daily, not just on Sunday morning, but daily, those who were being saved. In Acts 5, 14, it says, Believers were increasingly added to the Lord, multitudes of both men and women. Acts 6 and 7 says, The word of God spread, and the number of disciples multiplied greatly in Jerusalem, and a great many of priests were obedient to the faith. In Acts 12, 24, the word of God grew and multiplied. Are you seeing this? The book of Acts is a book of multiplication. One of the main themes, one of the primary things in, in the book of Acts is multiplication and growth. Acts 16.5, the churches were strengthened in the faith and increased in number daily. <coughs> Acts 19.20, so the word of the Lord grew mightily and prevailed. Right? In other words, the word of God is coming to the people of God. It's growing in the people of God. They're coming to, to grasp the word of God, and their lives are being transformed by the power of God's word. God's church is a growing organism. Isaiah said, to the increase of his government, there shall be no end. The church is a place of God's authority on planet Earth. It is growing. It is expanding. We can give you all kinds of stat statistics. In this that last hundred-year period has been one of the greatest seasons of growth, period, on planet Earth for the church. The church is growing. The church is flourishing. The news channels, the social media outlets, they don't want you to see that. They don't publish that news. But God's church is advancing. God's church is growing. God's church is pushing back darkness. Amen? The kingdom of God is on the move. God's church is growing. We have to have, as God's people, have to have a vision for growth. We have to have a desire in our hearts to grow. There's absolutely no shame in being a small church. There's no shame in being a small church, but there is shame in having a small vision. There's a shame in having no desire for increase. There's, there's a shame in not desiring to see souls saved, disciples made. There, there's shame in that. We need to have big vision. We need to have a, a vision for the harvest. We need to have a vision for increase. We need to have a vision for multiplication. I believe that, that with every fiber of my being, God wants his church to be fruitful. That's God's desire for his people. Jesus talks about it in John chapter 15. He says, I'm the true vine. My father is the vine dresser. And every branch in me that does not bear fruit, he takes away. And every branch that bears fruit, he prunes. Right? Even if we're fruitful, he's still going to cut on us. So that it might bear more fruit. You are already clean because of the word which I have spoken to you. Abide in me, and I in you, and the branch 
As the branch cannot bear fruit of itself unless it abides in the vine, neither can you unless you abide in me. I am the vine and you are the branches. He who abides in me and I in him bears much fruit. For without me you can do nothing. If anyone does not abide in me, he is cast out as a branch and is withered. And they gather them and throw them into the fire and they are burned. If you abide in me, and my words abide in you, you will ask what you desire, and it shall be done for you. By this my Father is glorified, that you bear much fruit, so you will be my disciples. See, in our multiplication, God is glorified. The multiplication of disciples glorifies God. Amen? The multiplication of disciples glorifies God. There's a picture. God, God wants, if, if you are a disciple of Jesus, if you're a disciple, raise your hand. That's all of us. If you're a disciple of Jesus, there is an expectation, there's an onus that the scripture puts on us that we ourselves are to be disciple makers. We are supposed to be fruitful. We are called to be fruitful. We are called, all of us, to be soul winners. We are called to make disciples. Amen. That, that's the mission. That's the assignment. That, that's the charge that the Lord spoke to us, right? Go into all the world and make disciples of all nations. That's the charge that God has given us, to be disciple makers. It's God's intent. It's God's purpose. And if we abide in the Lord and his word abides in us, we will be a fruitful people, right? It's, it's a natural thing, right? How many of you know you don't have babies without relationship? That's, that's the picture. When you spend time with the Lord, you will be fruitful. You will have babies, right? I got to say this. Look, I have a responsibility as a, as a pastor and as a shepherd to lead the church and to, to make sure the church is fruitful. But I, I want you to understand this. All of that responsibility is not squarely just on me. It is on all of us together. We all have responsibility in this harvest. We all have a responsibility to be disciple makers. We all have responsibility to, to lead people to Jesus, to, to help people to understand what it means to be followers of Jesus. If you are a follower of Christ, it's your responsibility to be involved in that. And if, you're, if you are not producing fruit, it's, it's a sign that, that something is amiss in our relationship with God. If we're not multiplying, it's significant of the fact that we need to get back to a healthy relationship with God. We need to begin to draw close to God again. It's a sign to us. If, if, you, if you find yourself in a place where you recognize, I, I am not a fruitful person, draw to the Father. Get back to spending time with him. Get back to spending time in the Word. Get back to praying and worshiping. It's important. If we don't spend time with him, we will not be a fruitful people. If we don't spend time in the Word, we will not be a fruitful people. If we're not praying, we will not be a fruitful people. But that time in the Word, that time with the Lord, the time in prayer, it will produce a fruitfulness in us. Intimacy brings fruit. So God uses ordinary people. God wants to use you, and God wants to use me to build this kingdom. What an awesome thing. What a magnificent and glorious thing that God would include us. Allow us to be partners, to participate in building the kingdom. It's, it's awesome. It's wonderful. God uses ordinary 
people. So I want to talk about something here for a second that is not so fun. Persecution. Persecution. God uses persecution to build his church. In fact, one of the primary causes, if you look through church history, one of the primary causes of fruitfulness for the church was persecution. If you study church history, the church always grows in times of pressure, opposition, and persecution. It's the way God built it. The persecution of the church always leads to multiplication. It always leads to fruitfulness. We, we don't get Act, Acts chapter 11 without going through Acts chapter 8. We just read out of Acts chapter 11, the planting of this Antioch church, right? The, the disciples being scattered from Jerusalem. Some of them landing in Antioch, planting this church, and this church becoming a multiplying, missionary-minded, sending church. By the, by the way, let me, let me just say that I, I believe that's God's intent for every per, per church to be a sending force, Right? In America, we judge our, our, our churches by seating capacity, but we should rather judge our, our churches by sending capacity. Amen. I mean, are, are we sending people to the neighborhoods? Are we sending people to the offices? Are we sending people out to plant churches? Are we sending people over to the nations? Our, our vision as a church, we want to be a sending power. We want to raise up families. In fact, I encourage you this week during this conference, pray and say, God, are you trying to prompt me to go somewhere? And it may just be as simple as going across the street. It may be as simple as going across the river. In fact, at our conference in Texas, the IMA conference that we were at last month, uh, the young lady spoke. She actually grew up in Palmyra, Indiana. Now she runs a missions organization based out of Tulsa, Oklahoma. And as she was speaking, she said when she grew up, she thought going to the foreign mission field meant crossing the Ohio River and going into Kentucky. For some of us, that might be the mission God sends us on. Right? I mean, going, going to Portland, it's, you're doing the work of a missionary over there. Your, your life's on the line. You're, right? But pray about it. God, do you have a purpose for me other than my nine to five? I've been, yeah, I've been climbing this vocational ladder. I've been successful career, but God, do you have another purpose for me that I might be missing? Pray about it. Pray about it. And listen, if God speaks to you, we're, we'll send you next week. Just kidding. We won't. But you know what we'll do? We'll come alongside you, and we'll help you to get prepared, and we'll help you to get funded, and we'll send you on God's time. We want to come alongside people who want to go. Amen? And you know what happens? When we send, we will, we will grow and multiply. The church at Antioch sent two of their best members. Right? I mean, if I had Barnabas... A great giver and a great encourager, I'd want to keep him in my church. If I had the Apostle Paul, I'd want to keep him in my church. But they prayed, the church at Antioch, in Acts chapter 13, verse 1 and 2, the, the leaders of the church at Antioch prayed, and the Holy Spirit spoke to them and said, send your best members out. Right? And what happens? This church of Antioch flourishes and grows. Amen. They're, they're meeting in a cave, they're meeting in a graveyard, and they're sending out their best, mess, their, their best uh, leaders out of the church, and they're flourishing. Right? 
That beats our attitude of hoarding all the best. And like we, we got to have it all, all perfect and all pretty and everything comfortable and keep all of our best. It, it's a total opposite model of what we think of in, in our minds growing up in a Western culture. They were ascending church. Amen? And we need to be ascending church. In Acts chapter 8, God uses persecution to scatter his people so that his purpose would be fulfilled. You think about it. If, if God hadn't sent Paul and his team to persecute the church, they would have probably built a mega church in Jerusalem. But he used persecution to scatter them to the nations of the earth so that, as Sean Alexander is going to talk to us, that, that they could be what God's purpose and intent was for Israel originally, that they would be a light to the nations of the world. Sean's going to share that, by the way, on Friday morning, some of that. That, that, that was God's purpose. He uses this persecution. Again, we don't get Acts chapter 11 without Acts chapter 8, which is the persecution, which ultimately produces Acts 13, the sending of Paul's missionary team. I, I want you to think about this. God allowed Paul and, and, and that tribe of Pharisees to come and persecute the believers in Jerusalem to the point they, they were killing Christians. They were murdering. Anybody who claimed to be a follower of Jesus, they would get stoned. And Paul stood by and watched this. In fact, he was leading the team that was doing it. And God allowed Paul to do that to the church of Jerusalem so they would scatter, and a group of them land in Antioch so that Barnabas could invite Paul to Antioch so that Antioch could send Paul to the nations. Think about that. Paul persecuted the church that scattered to another city where he would land and be sent by those same people as a missionary to the nations. Tell me that the ways of God aren't greater. None of us could have written a better script. There's no greater plot than that. Think about that. What a beautiful, beautiful picture. There's a fact that one of the primary causes of fruitfulness for the church is persecution. Persecution. I believe this, the news about a suffering Savior is spread through suffering servants. I don't like that, Pastor Well, You don't like the scriptures I'm about to read. If, if we're going to be serious about the propagation of the gospel, we must, as believers, embrace suffering. Here's the word, here's the word. Matthew, Jesus himself in Matthew 5, 11, Blessed are you when you are reviled and persecuted. And say, they say all kinds of evil things against you falsely for my sake. Rejoice and be exceeding glad, for great is your reward in heaven. For so they persecuted the prophets who were before you. This is what Peter says. First Peter chapter 4, verse 12, he said, Beloved, do not think it strange concerning the fiery trial, which is to try you as though some strange thing is happening to you. But rejoice to the extent that you partake in Christ's sufferings that when his glory is revealed, you may also be glad with exceeding joy. If you are reproached for the name of Christ, blessed are you, for the spirit of glory and of God rests upon you. On their part, he is, he is blasphemed, but on your part, he is glorified. See, when, when we're persecuted, God's glorified. Here's how it works. When you buck up and endure patiently the suffering, 
You're you're declaring to the world that I'd rather suffer with Christ than than enjoy the riches of this world. What you're saying is suffering with Jesus is better than being a millionaire. Suffering with Jesus is better than health. Suffering with Jesus is better than comfort. Suffering with Jesus is better than anything that this life can offer. That's the testimony when we patiently endure the hardships of this life, that's the testimony and the declaration of our life. It is a praise and a glory to God. Peter goes on and says in verse 19, Therefore, let those who suffer according to the will of God commit their souls to him in doing good as to a faithful creator. 1 Corinthians chapter 4, Paul writes about suffering again. He says in verse, in verse 9, I think that God has displayed us, the apostles, last as men condemned to death. For we have been a spectacle to the world, both to angels and to men. We are fools for the sake of Christ, but you are wise in Christ. We are weak, but you are strong. You are distinguished, and we are dishonored. To the present hour, (coughs) we both hunger and thirst, and we are poorly clothed and beaten and homeless. We labor working with our hands, being reviled, and yet we bless, being persecuted, we endure, being defamed, we entreat. We have been made as the filth of the world, the off-scouring of all things unto now. I do not write these things to shame you, but as my beloved children, I warn you, for though you might have 10,000 instructors in Christ, yet you, you do not have many fathers, in, for in Christ Jesus I have begotten you through the gospel. Therefore, I urge you, Imitate me. Paul said, we've suffered. Copy what you've seen. Paul was leading a life worth copying. How about you? Are you living a life that's worth copying? I forgot who it was, but one of the old preachers, he said this, if if your gospel isn't affecting others then it hasn't affected you. If somebody's not following you to Jesus, has the gospel really changed your soul? Listen, when the gospel transforms your heart, it, you, you cannot help but to affect people's lives. You will change and transform everybody around you when you have been changed and transformed in the presence of the living God. That's a reality. The effect of the gospel on the human heart is a life-giving force. It changes you, and you become a river in the middle of a desert. That's the reality. That's the impact. We need to live lives that are worth following, right? Whether you like it or not, somebody's following you. I've got three teenage boys and a 10-year-old daughter following me. My example, I've got a wife following me. I've got family members that are following me. I've got church members that are following me. I want to live a life worth following. I want to live a life that inspires people for the gospel, to to know Jesus. We need to live that kind of life. It's not just for the great apostles. This is, again, for ordinary people. God wants us to be an ordinary people doing extraordinary things. We need to live a life that's worth following. Back to suffering. Our our endurance and suffering declares to the unbelieving world that Christ is better than comfort, better than wealth. It's better than our own well-being. 
when we patiently endure and go through hardships to follow Jesus, it glorifies God. It glorifies God. And here's, here's the truth. Whether you want to suffer or not, it's, in, it's inevitable. Suffering in this life is inevitable. You're going to suffer. Are you going to be a, 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 a miserable, miserable old miser? Are you going to suffer in a way that brings glory to God? That's the choice that we have. We've got to make a decision. How are we going to suffer? Suffer is inevitable. And here's the good news. God's mission is unstoppable. No matter what comes our way, no matter what kind of persecution comes to us, no matter what we face, God's kingdom is going to advance. The Bible says the light shines in the darkness, and the darkness cannot extinguish it. How many of you have ever had a fire get out of control? I had a dream last night that, that, that I, I was working at the old ranch where I used to work, my uncle's ranch, and for some reason we were tearing down old outbuildings, and I was piling up the trash, the rubble from that demolition job into one pile, and the good stuff we were preserving on the other side. We started a fire to get rid of all the trash, and I turned around, and the good stuff was on fire. I turned around again, and the house where there on the ranch was on fire. I, I'm glad I woke up out of that dream. Thank you, Scott. Trade you. Thank you. So that, that was the dream that I had. Anybody ever been there where you, you started a little fire and it got out of control? Let me give you some advice. Because I've done this. Whatever you do, if the fire is getting out of control, don't, don't stomp on it. Science actually shows that when you stomp on it, you're doing what it needs to fuel the fire. That is a motion that's, that's giving oxygen. Your foot has become a fan that is oxygenating the fire and causing it to burst. It creates, your foot is creating a backdraft. Every time you stomp, there's a backdraft that brings oxygen to it and causes that, that fire to explode and spread. There's a picture. Every time the enemy tries to stomp on the church, what happens? The fire spreads. When Paul and his team came to persecute the church, what happened? Trying to put, stomp out the light of God, and it was scattered to the nations. Amen? Listen, opposition will not stop the kingdom of God. No matter what the enemy throws at us, God's kingdom is going to advance. Amen? There's no government that can stop his government from growing. Amen. There's no demonic force that can, that, that, that can stop the kingdom of heaven from advancing. God's kingdom is going to go forward. Get over it. I think it's Psalm 37. I was reading this morning. I read it to my wife. It was so good. In fact, I'll just read it. Let me pull it up here. Psalm 37. It's, it, verse 1, it says, Do not fret for e because of evildoers. Do not fret because of evildoers. Why are we fretting about the Republicans and the Democrats? Why are we, we, we fretting about Hollywood? Why are we fretting about MTV? Why are we fretting about cable and Netflix and all this? Why are we fretting about it? Why do we give so much time and energy fighting battles God never wanted us to fight? They're doing what they're supposed to be doing. Sinners are supposed to sin. Evil people are supposed to do evil works. 
They're doing what they're supposed to be doing. Our assignment is not to try to stop evil people from doing evil things. Our assignment is to declare the gospel of Jesus so that dead men can live, so that their hearts can be transformed. We're not here to fight political battles. We're not here to fight social battles. We're here to advance a kingdom that exceeds, supersedes, that is over all. Let me tell you what's going to happen to every one of those kingdoms, every one of those organizations that's advancing the kingdom of darkness. It says it right here. Do not fret because of evildoers, nor be envious of the workers of iniquity, for they shall soon be cut down like grass and and withered as the green herb. Trust in the Lord. Trust in the Lord and do good. Dwell in the land and feed on his faithfulness. Amen? We don't have to get into political fights. Do good and dwell on the faithfulness of God. Dwell in the land and dwell on the faithfulness of God. And that's how we overcome Listen, I'm going to tell you what, we're, we are, I'm going to prophesy, we are about to see a political revolution in the United States of America, but not because we were elect, the, elect the right people. You know why we're going to do it? Because the gospel of Jesus and his church is going to advance on this nation. That's why. The church is going to raise up. A dormant people are going to raise up and begin to pray. A dormant people are going to raise up and begin to go out and make disciples. A dormant people are going to begin to stand up. And a cowardice bunch of preachers are going to begin to stand in the pulpit and say, this is the word of the Lord. This is the word of the Lord. This is the word of the Lord. That's what's going to bring revival. That's what's going to bring awakening. That's what's going to change the landscape of this planet. We are here the church to advance the kingdom. And listen, the kingdom of darkness is not going to win. The politicians aren't going to win. The governments aren't going to win. The principalities and powers aren't going to win. The kingdom of Jesus is going to win. Amen? We, how many of you grew up in the song? We win, we grew, grew up with that song in church. We win, we win, hallelujah, we win. I read the back of the book and we win. Anybody remember that? That wasn't just a cute song. That's a reality. We're going to win. The church triumphant. The church victorious. Our God's never lost a battle. Never. He never lost a battle. Even when the devil thought he had him defeated, he got up out of the ground and raised on the third day. Our God's never lost a battle. How can we lose with a commander in chief who has never lost a battle? Come on, let's lift our perspective about what God's doing in the earth. Let's stop getting depressed by your social media feed, your news outlets. Stop getting down on that and start dwelling on the faithfulness of God. Dwell in the land and do good works and dwell on the faithfulness of God. He has not forsaken us yet, and he won't. Hard things will come to us, things we don't like, but we're going to triumph. He causes us to be victorious in all things. Amen? I'm way off my notes. I'm coming back. Good news, last page. Last page. Acts chapter 11. Again, we, we don't have Acts 8, or Acts, Acts, Acts 11, without Acts 8. We don't have the multiplying church without the persecuted church. We don't have the sending church without the multiplying church. Acts 8, 
produces Acts 11, and Acts 11 produces Acts 13, where they send the, the, the apostles. But let's, let's look at Acts 11:25 as we get ready to wind this thing down. Barnabas departed for Tarsus to seek Saul. And when he found him, he brought him to Antioch. And so it was that for a whole year, they assembled with the church and taught a great many people. And the disciples were first called Christians at Antioch. Antioch is the place where the church became known as Christians. And that was, that was not a flattering word. That was not a complimentary word. It was originally brought as an insult to the church of Antioch. Christianos, and it was a mocking, little, little Christs with a very mocking tone. That was the way that word was used at first. Uh, and, and they adapted it and said, you know what? Hey, if that's what you're going to call me, I'll, I'll be a little Christ. They took what was supposed to be an insult, they adapted it and took it on as an identity. I, I want to be like Jesus. I want to be a little Jesus. They assembled with the church and they taught a great many people. The church is a growing and flourishing organization. Listen, I, I believe this. Our, our efforts, we can't uh, let our efforts revolve around counting conversions. I'm glad for every conversion. I'm, I'm glad for every person who ever walks down to an aisle here. We're about to baptize three. I'm glad about that. It's something to rejoice and to celebrate. But it, it can't be about counting conversions. It has to be about making disciples. Church, I want, I want to encourage you, get yourself into a discipleship process. I, I've been studying the Word of God. I went to four years of Bible college. I have been mentored by some of the greatest men on the planet, in my opinion. I, I have studied almost every single day of my life the Scriptures. I still need to be discipled. I have tons to learn. I have not yet arrived. None of us in this building have made it. You need to find somebody who's going to shape you. I, I meet with a group of pastors once a month because I want to grow. We, we do instruction together. We do learning together. We have experts in different areas of, of scripture, of leadership, you name it. Come in and teach us for an hour. Because Why? Because we want to grow. I am a disciple. I, I met a, a lady one time. She had a hard time accepting that. She thought that lowered her. There's some kind of a derogatory term. No, I am a disciple. It's not beneath me. I'm a disciple. You need to adapt that identity. Be a disciple. Be teachable. Always be learning. Get into the Word. Man, there, there is so much good stuff. And if, if you want, there's, there's a lot of bad stuff out there on the Internet. If you want to find good teachers to feed your spirit throughout the week, I work at my house. I, I drive. I work here in the office. And I, I will put messages on and listen to them all week long. There's so much good stuff out there. Be a learner, be a grower, be a disciple. That, that's part one. Part two, be a disciple maker. I want everybody in, a, in every one of us in this church to, to, to adapt these two identities. We are disciples. We are growing in Christ. We are learning. We're, we're still, we, we've not yet arrived. We're learning how to follow after Christ. And then we need to adapt the identity. Hey, come on, come with me. Right? Let me, let me help you learn what it means to be a, a follower of Christ. We need to be disciples, and we need to be, be disciple makers. Every single one of us need to adapt those identities. Every, every one of us needs to take on those, those roles. 
Last thought, and I'm I'm making a little bit of a leap away from our text to make this, but I I really want to communicate this. I really want to communicate this idea. Soul winners are always worshipers. Soul winners are always worshipers. You can flip that. Worshipers are soul winners. People who worship, and listen, worship is not about music. Yes, we do worship God through music. We do come together and we use music together to worship together. But worship is an attitude. It's a heart pointed towards God to give him glory. It's a lifestyle that's lived to the purpose of God to bring God glory. You know, I think I said this last week, but the word work and worship, both in the English and Hebrew languages, they have the same root. It's very significant in the Hebrew language. When, when words have the same root, that means they're related. They're, they're interconnected, right? Work and worship are related. That's why your grandpa probably told you, if he was a, a believer, he probably told you, like my grandpa did, do your work as unto the Lord. Because if you do your work in a way that glorifies God, it is worship, right? You're raising your families to the glory of God, serving in your community to the glory of God, having communication with people out there. Do it to the glory of God. It can all be worship when done to the glory of God. And when we become, if if you'll become a worshiper, again, this comes back to that thing of intimacy. When you spend time with God in prayer and his word and worship, however it is, you will become fruitful. Intimacy produces fruitfulness. Worshipers are always soul winners, and soul winners are always worship. The spirit of worship and the spirit of evangelism are connected Conversely, what's the opposite of worship? How about complaining? How about instead of praising something, finding the worst in everybody? Right? Negative Nelly? Negative Nelly never wins souls. That's a picture for us. Become a praiser. Become a praiser. My, my wife and I, sometimes we, we see this guy, Jimmy Fallon, on TV. Rachel says when we see him, that guy would be an amazing worship leader. You know Why? It doesn't matter who he has on his program as a guest. They are his favorite person. He has mastered the art of praising people. He finds out the best attributes, the best qualities of that person, and he talks about them and magnifies them the whole time that he's interviewing them. And that's what worship really is. It's magnifying God. It's exalting God. Listen, if you want to be a soul winner, learn to praise people. Learn to find the best in somebody. Because I'm going to tell you what, you will never influence somebody if you're always down on them. Even if it's in sin and you're always beating them up for their sin, you will never win them. Be an encourager. Be a Barnabas. Be an encourager. Lift people. You will become, I'm going to tell you what, if you'll adopt that, you will be a soul winner. A complaining church is a dead church. And the first church of rigor mortis will not win souls. Reality. That's a reality. A praising church wins souls. Here's some scripture for it. David, and I'm, I'm wrapping up with this thought. David says in Psalm 40, verse 3, he put a new song in my mouth, even praise to our God. Many shall see it and fear and shall trust in the Lord. Your praise your glorification, your magnification of God, when men see it, they will fear and put their trust in God. How does that work? 
when you're going through hell? You lose your job? You're going through financial hardships? People are coming against you, whatever's going on in your life when you're going through those things and you stand up when everybody says you should just lay down and die, but you stand up and say, thank you, Jesus. Glory to God. My God has never left me nor forsaken me. He is a good God. He is a faithful God. I'm again living in the land, doing good, and thinking about the faithfulness of God. When we'll do that through the hardships, people will say, man, that guy should have died. Look at Job. Job's life was a praise. He went through hell. What did he do? First thing he did after everything was taken from him, he built an altar and worshiped God. What a testimony of the goodness and the strength of God. Amen? Again, worshipers are soul winners. A worshiping church is a soul winning church. Worship fuels mission. So when we go through hardships, let's worship. Because here's what we declare. When we worship in hardship, we, we declare that we love the glory of God more than our own comfort, more than our own well-being, more than our status, more than our safety. When we glorify God through hardships, we are ultimately declaring the goodness of God. What did Romans say? Don't you know that it is the goodness of God that leads you to repentance. So the, the goodness of God isn't just that I got a raise, that I got a good doctor's report, that everything's great in my marriage, my kids, my family. God's good through all of it, even when it's all falling apart. You can experience the good of, goodness of God in a financial downturn, political upheaval, family feud, bankruptcy, you can experience the goodness of God in all of it, persecution. Amen? Let, let's stand together. You know what we're going to do, church? Now, you've got to promise not to laugh at me. We're going to worship. And I'm your worship leader. See, worship's not about music. It's an attitude. It's a disposition. It's an action that praises God. So let's sing, our God is an awesome God. He reigns from heaven above with wisdom, power, and love. Our God is an awesome God. Our God is an awesome God. He reigns from heaven above with wisdom, power, and love. Our God is an awesome God. Can you imagine a church gathered in a cave? It's like singing in the shower. Singing the praises of God. Let's sing, how great is our God. Sing with me, how great. Rachel, is our God. All will sing, how great. How great is our God. How about Savior? He can move a mountain. My God is mighty to save. Mighty to save. Forever author of salvation. He rose and conquered the grave. 
Jesus conquered the grave. Church, let me encourage you. Be a worshiper. Be a soul winner. Be a disciple maker. It's a choice. Amen. Rachel, will you lead us in another course? You get to pick. I'm done. Everybody say, thank God he's done. No more singing.